Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. One of the church plants that we are partnering with is down in Marble Falls, Texas. And I'm sure everyone knows where Marble Falls is, so I don't even need to explain that, probably. Um, <laughs> but Marble Falls, is it's, it's near Austin, Texas. It's about an hour and a half from San Antonio, Texas, in Texas Hill Country. And uh, this guy that's going to be speaking for us today... He was, uh, I tricked him into coming on staff with me in Oklahoma City at Victory. I hired him to be our youth pastor and did an incredible job. And, uh, and he has recently moved down to start this church. And they're doing a great work. And I'm excited that he is with us today. He's a great friend. And I'm excited about the word he's going to bring to you today. So please welcome with me to stage the pastor of Rock Pile Church in Marble Falls, Texas, Matt Netzer. Thank you guys. How are we doing this morning? Good. All right. Well, it's exciting to be here with you again. My name is Matt, and I am from Rock Pile Church. Uh, it's been exciting times. Uh, a little over a year ago, we, uh, we moved down to Marble Falls from Oklahoma, May 2014, to start Rock Pile Church. I'm excited to tell you guys that uh, in addition to the church, God told us to build uh, the church and to build an indoor play center in Marble Falls, which they don't have to help us reach out to the community. So we opened doors actually in April of this year with Rockpile and with an indoor play center called Well Played. So God's just doing an amazing work there. And um, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you because the Summit has been a huge supporter of, of what we believe God's vision for Rockpile and for Well Played is. Uh, and you guys in your faithful giving has made that possible. So uh, from a heart, thank you guys very, very much for partnering with us in the kingdom. How many of you guys know we're one church? We are the kingdom of God, and we lift each other up. We support each other. So it's been exciting. And I want to say thank you as well to, uh, to Mel. Mel and I, uh, we've known each other for a few years now. He's a great friend and uh, somebody that I lean on quite a bit and pick his brain a lot. And um, he can point out all the different things that I'm doing that he goes, what are you doing? And, uh, and then I fix it. So it's been, been very helpful. So I appreciate him trusting me to come up here. How many of you guys know that uh, it's not easy necessarily to always hand off the stage to somebody else and be able to trust them to handle the word of God? and to be able to come up and deliver the message. Because, frankly, it's not always easy to handle the Word of God. How many of you guys would admit, all right, this honesty time, that there are some things in the Bible that you have a hard time explaining to people? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah. And let's, let's be honest. There are times you're looking at it and you're like, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily get that. I don't necessarily get how that could happen, whether it's these great, wonderful miracles that you read about, and you're like, man, that's exciting. And that, of course, you can just chalk up to miracles, the, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, you got Moses there and the, the music and the wind, oh, you know, and it's, okay, that's God's miracle. That's all, all you can explain it. My daughter, she's now seven, and she's learning a lot in church and in Sunday school, so she's coming and she's asking all these questions, and I'm going to be honest, I think sometimes my daughter is, is smarter than I am. I've worked with teenagers for years, and teenagers, I, God love you teenagers, but the teenagers' the questions never challenged me. Then my daughter, who's seven, asked me questions, and I'm like, ah. uh. and I try not to make things up, all right, but, you know, she's like, Daddy, yes, honey, how do they fit all the animals on the ark? Okay, um, it's a big boat, but that's a lot of animals. 
Well, honey, you know how when we moved from uh, Oklahoma City, we had to move all your stuffed animals? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe Noah did the same thing. He used space bags. <laughs> Come on, giraffes, on in. All right. There we go. You know, I mean, uh, obviously, you just kind of make things up sometimes, but there are things that we look at and we go, I don't necessarily have all the answers. There are things that happen in the Bible that people did that you just have to look at it and you go, why did they do that? How did that happen? And, and maybe you can look at the full context and maybe figure it out. I'll tell you one that's always confused me, and that is the, the fact that Jesus, who has been given this, this wonderful mission to come here, to, to tell the world about who he is, to spread the good news, right? So he comes and he does these amazing miracles. I mean, you read about the things that Jesus did, and you're like, wow, that's, that's amazing. You know, if, if somebody came forward to this morning, and they're like, I, I can't see. And I'm like, well, here, let me spit in your face. And, uh, and so I spit on them, and they're like, I can see. I'm like, that's great. People all over would be looking on the camera and being like, okay, we need to, we need to show that clip. We need to, we, everyone needs to see what has happened here today. Well, Jesus would do these amazing miracles, and then he would, he would tell people what? Don't tell anyone. What? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Look at this story. Luke chapter 5, verse 12, it says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground, and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So he tells the man, don't go tell anyone, just go show yourself to the priest. And there's a very uh, purposeful reason why he told them to do that. Because at that time, you understand, leprosy was a big deal. I mean, it's still a big deal now. It's not like going to somebody and being like, can you pray for me? i got a headache. This guy's whole life was now... Uh, wrapped up in the fact that he had leprosy. Leprosy uh, was this horrible skin disease. You get scabs and boils, and, and sometimes literally just it's, things are falling off, right? It wasn't always a death sentence, but it was a, in a way it was a life sentence because you were considered at that point unclean. You were banished outside. You weren't supposed to have contact with people. It was a life-changing disease. And so Jesus has this amazing opportunity. I mean, you think about it, this is one of those things Jesus is like, okay, well, I'm here to do what? I'm here to tell people about who I am, what I came to do. This guy just got healed. Everybody knew this guy was a leper. Everybody knew this guy was covered in sores. He's healed. This is a great chance. What is he going to do with it? Tell no one. And he did that often. People would come forward and they would get healed, these miraculous things. He said, go tell no one. Don't tell anybody what I've done for you here today. And, and I don't know about you, but I would be like, what? You kidding me? Uh-oh, no, I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I'm going to tell the world. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, baby. Jesus has done something miraculous. He's like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 don't tell anyone. But, but, but Jesus, I, I'm clean. No, just go tell the priest. They will, they will, they will deem you clean. Then you can go back into society. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone what I have done for you here today. Why is it that Jesus would do this? Why is it that Jesus would squander this opportunity that he has for this great miracle and for people to see what it is that he's done? Maybe, and you can look at a couple things, maybe you could say, well, maybe Jesus realized that uh, if, if people knew about what he had done, the crowds were going to come out in droves. 
Everybody, anybody who had any ailment was going to come out at that point. People were going to see, they wanted to see this man that performed this great miracle. And he realized, well, you know, it's easier to work with smaller groups. Okay, you could see that. Matthew 13, we, we know that Jesus is ministering to people, and there's so many crowds pressing up against him that he's being pressed up against. He's kind of on a shoreline, and so he has to actually get into a boat and pull away from the shore to be able to speak to everybody because there's so many people that he can't speak to them all when they're all crowded around him. So maybe this is it. Maybe it's reverse psychology. Certainly by now, God knows that when he tells us not to do something, we're pretty bad at it, right? And so maybe God's like, you know what? And, and parents, you know what I'm talking about. Reverse psychology. Sometimes I feel like I should tell my kids, don't go clean your room. That works. He's in there picking up his Legos. You know, if that's the case, I guess it worked because what we find out in the very next verse, in verse 15, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him to be, and to be healed of their sicknesses. So obviously, word has gotten out what Jesus has done for this man. Whether or not he went around and told everybody what it is that, that Jesus had done for him, or whether or not people just saw him, the result is that these crowds came out in droves, and they all wanted to see Jesus. They all wanted to be near Jesus. And this happened so much because Jesus was the man. I mean, fully man, fully God. But he was the, the it man at the time. Word about him was spreading. He was speaking with authority. And everywhere he went, people were crying out for things. They, they wanted him to, to do things for them. They, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. If you are willing, heal my son. Touch me, Lord. They were pushing through crowds trying to get to him just to touch his clothes. They were tearing holes in a, a Mission Impossible-style manner to drop down from the ceiling because they wanted to be near Jesus and to get healed by him. How taxing would that be? Everywhere you go, everywhere you go, people are like, I want something from you. I want something from you. Everywhere you go, people are like, you need to heal me. Uh, you need to speak words to us. I mean, everywhere you go, it's just constant. It's just absolutely constant. I can only imagine how taxing it would be for that many people to constantly need something from you. And I truly can only imagine because we've only got 20 to 30 people in our church. It's not that taxing yet. But even then, I look at it and go, sometimes, man, it's, it's, it's hard. In, in you know, years of ministry in various roles in various churches, i got to tell you, some of the greatest moments that I've had have been the opportunity to pray with people and speak with people and minister to people. And uh, you know, the 3 o'clock in the morning phone calls and even uh, leaning you know, on, having people lean on me or leaning on them when we're hurting and broken and, and ministering. Or even celebrating the great things that God has done, the great moments. But i got to tell you, it's, it's draining. It's draining. After a while, you're like, man, I'm just, I am, I'm physically, I'm emotionally, I'm spiritually, I'm just exhausted. It's hard. It's hard. Now, I'm not here this morning to talk about how hard it is to be a pastor. It's just so draining. Everybody feel for Pastor Mel for a moment. <laughs> just goes through so much. You guys go through it too, right? I mean, I don't know what it is that each of you guys do for a living, but you're trying to tell me that your life is, is any less draining than mine? What you have to go through? We all have lives that we're constantly spending. We're constantly putting out energy. We're constantly under stress. We're constantly under the gun. I don't care whether you're in marketing. I don't care whether you do plumbing. I don't care whether you, uh, you, you train and uh, 
uh, you know, handle velociraptors, or maybe you know, you maybe you stay at home with the kids. I know that uh, my wife, she when we had our kids, and, and up until this year when she went back to work at our indoor play center, I dare not come home from work while she's home with the kids and be like, "Oh man, I'm just stressed. I had a rough day today." Not like you, honey, when you got to stay home with the with the kids. Yeah, because <laughs> you look over her and about the time she'd be like. And I never dare ask, you know, look around. When you come home and do that look around, you're like, what'd you do today? You say, oh, because some of you guys have asked that question. And you've paid the price. It's draining. The things that you do are constantly draining you. And, and you know, we're told that's a good thing. We need to make the most of every day. We, make, we take the most of every moment and we push and we go and we put forth energy and we work hard. We give 100%, 100% of the time. And so you look at this and you go, well, Jesus, I think somebody needs to let you know that you're passing up an opportunity. Jesus, I, look, this guy was healed. And I know that you don't want him to tell anybody, but I think I know a little something about something here, and you're passing up a pretty good chance to, to bring people out and tell them about who you are. I mean, think about it. Jesus only has roughly you know, three years from the time of his baptism, you know, when, when he was officially, if you will, start the ministry to when he's going to the cross. He's got to make the most of all that time. He is squandering a chance here by telling the guy not to tell anyone. How many of you guys know that we live in a very powered world right now? Do you know what I mean by that? How many, how many guys have a smartphone? Three. All right, Indiana, Pennsylvania, which Pennsylvania is uh, surprising. A computer, a tablet, a speaking spell. What is it? What do we use here? You know, and so we're constantly living and dying by, by battery life. We're always looking at our battery life. And we've learned how to constantly conserve and go, okay, my battery life, I gotta, how, where am I at with battery life? Do I need a charger? And so we have learned to live and die by conserving power. We're always looking at the power, trying to make sure that we're good to go. And if you think about in those contexts, Jesus looking at what he did for this man and Jesus what was going on in his life, maybe it helps us understand a little bit what he was really doing when he healed this man. He told him not to go tell anyone. The man goes, we assume he told people, the crowds come out, they all want to be healed. And in the very next verse, look what it says in verse 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I think Jesus knew that if he didn't pull back, if he didn't handle things right, he was going to have a power problem. And this is something that he did quite often. Look at these other verses. It's Mark 135, very, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Matthew 14, 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Why is it that Jesus would tell this man not to go tell everybody? Could it be that Jesus hates crowds? I can understand that. How many of you guys are not crowds fans? I, I love crowds at church events because they were like, yeah, that's awesome. A lot of people here at church. I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of crowds other places. Now that we have moved out to Marble Falls, which is kind of the country, like there's places that we like to go, but we have to drive in. How many of you guys, Costco, you have Costco around here? Sam, Sam's, we don't do Costco. We're Sam's people. 
All right, you go to Sam's, right? For us, going to Sam's is like a vacation. Like, let's go to Sam's. They've got everything and sample food all day long. It's great. So my wife's like, let's go to Sam's. And it's like getting dressed up. Go, going into town, right? Until I realize it's Saturday. And I'm like, mm-mm. No, why? Because Sam's and Costco are different places on Saturday. That's where your cart becomes a battering ram. Um, maybe Jesus was like, I, just, I, just, I don't like crowds. You know, but we don't see that because Jesus, although he was rarely impressed by a crowd, he, he didn't necessarily go just to draw a crowd, but Jesus loved the people in crowds. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because he realized that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He loved the people in the crowd. So he liked drawing crowds and having people to minister to as long as he had people that he could minister to. And we know that he often ministered to large crowds. He didn't always avoid the crowds. There were stories of him speaking and walking around healing. There are stories of him feeding entire crowds. So it can't be that Jesus necessarily wants to just avoid crowds, but he also understood something else, is that these crowds, these people, this constant ministering, this constant going, could be very, very draining. And he understood that he wasn't going to last long on waning battery power. I teach up at a, a, Christian, a private Christian school called Faith Academy. I teach Bible to 11th graders. And so I, I set up my PowerPoint for my lesson on my computer, and I take it up there, and I plug it into uh, the, the projector, and I'm, I'm talk, going through my PowerPoint. Often I forget to plug it in, and it has that little icon. You know what I'm saying? It might, it might pop up there. I don't remember if the picture's on there. It's all digitized. I think it was actually the next one. But anyway, that's all right. So the, it has this little icon that tells you how much battery percentage is left. And my students, because they are so um, electronics-driven, that if my computer drops below like 5%, they can't listen to the lesson anymore. <laughs> they, I'm like going through the lesson, I'm talking, and they're like, um, and this is weird because they call me Mr. Netzer, which still weirds me out a little bit, but they're like, uh, uh, Mr. Netzer, uh, your, your computer's about to die. I'm like, Okay, I'll, I'll plug it in a minute, guys. Just let me get to this point. Uh, no, Mr. Netzer, um, you really need to plug it in. I'll, I'll, I'll do it in a second. I really think you should do it now. They cannot handle it. They can't handle it that that computer is about to die because you know if you've got a smartphone or a computer or whatever else, and you get there and you're like, oh, I'm at 2%. That becomes scramble time. Charger. I need a Charger. Who's got a charger? And if you didn't bring one, you start asking everyone, you got a charger? And I was like, I've only got Android. Android, what's the matter with you? What's come on? Who's got a charger? And you start running around because you know that if it gets down to 1% and 0% and it dies, that's going to be the longest eight minutes of your life to plug it back in and just wait. I just know I'm going to get a text during these eight minutes. <laughs> so hard to unplug. It's scramble time. Jesus knew, look, I can't let, I can't let myself get there. I can't let myself get there where I'm drained and I've got no power left to give. I've got nothing left to give. I think it's safe to say that Jesus, although he loved this man in Luke and he loved the crowds, he knew that he's going to have to pull away for a little bit if he was going to conserve and save his power, get some rest, recharge with God. And you go like that and you go, but, but come on, but Jesus, he's supernatural, right? I mean, he's, he's Jesus. Can he just keep going and going? Like, he's like the Energizer Bunny. Why does he need to stop and recharge? Because you understand, Jesus was fully man. He was susceptible to the same things that you and I are. Jesus, think about this second. He was susceptible to life burnout. 
because he was fully human. We are also susceptible to life burnout, regardless of whatever it is that you do. Have you ever been there where you're just like, I just don't know if I can do it anymore. I just don't know if I can just keep going. I just don't know how to do what it is that I'm doing right now. I just, I, I feel like I'm just shutting down. Now, I don't want anybody to take this message wrong today and someone be like, man, that's a weird message today where Matt got up there and talked about not giving our all. That's, of course, not what I'm saying. I'm not talking this morning about not giving your all. We see great examples in the Bible that, of people that spent it all for the glory of God. You get to read about the disciples that gave their very lives for the cause of Christ. Paul himself said that he was like a drink offering being poured out for the gospel, giving every bit, giving it all for God. But guys, you have to understand the difference between giving your life for the gospel, which we should all be doing every day, and losing your effectiveness while you're alive because you haven't learned to balance your life and nurture your soul. This is, this is insanely important for us as followers of God. Jesus wasn't neglecting the people and shirking his calling by avoiding people. And we look at this and we're like, well, but he had opportunities here. Wasn't he being selfish? No, he recognized something. You guys have ever flown on a plane before? Yeah, we flew, I flew on one here, and uh, it was a painful reminder that um, the airlines, they're, uh, I think they're making the seats smaller. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a large man, but... You know, as I find my seats, and I, I booked just in time to get the middle seats, which, of course, is the desired seat. And you get there, and you lower the armrests down that are like three centimeters thick, and then you've got to figure out who gets the elbow on there. You've got the guy next to you that sits like he's about to do a granny shot for basketball. And as you're there, and you're going through all the different spiels and listening to the, uh, the, the flight attendants go through, and they talk about the mask. You know what I'm talking about? In case we lose cabin pressure, a little yellow mask is going to fall from the ceiling. Please put that on your face. And then, and then they say, and it has a bag that may or may not inflate, which always makes me a little nervous. I'm like, come on, bag, you have one job. Inflate. What's that bag supposed to be doing? What's it good for? I'm going to tell you right now, if you're sitting next to me and my bag doesn't inflate and yours does, there's a war on row 13. I'm taking your bag. But then they say this, they say, you know, if you have a child next to you, please put your own mask on first before placing the mask upon your child. And as a parent, that would be hard for me. Because my five-year-old boy, Micah, if he was sitting next to me and suddenly, you know, a giant hole is inside the plane and it, the air is being sucked out and the mask dropped down, everyone's like... <gasps> and I looked over and Micah's going... <clears throat> I would want to put my mask on my son. You know, it would be hard for me to be like... <laughs> You doing all right, son? I'll get to you in a sec. You know, and he's like. But likewise, it does him no good if I'm like, okay, I got to put my mask on Micah. And so I start to put my mask on him, and halfway through, I'm like. And I pass out. And then he's still sitting there going. Because I know my son. He would put it on like a hat. Sometimes you have to nurture your own soul. You have to take care of yourself first because that's how you're effective in order to do what God has called you to do. You can't be effective by constantly giving, constantly moving, constantly going until the point that you're dead, until the point that you're all used up and you're no good anymore. If Jesus needed to, to pull away, to rest, to spend lonely time with God, if Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we need to? 
I mean, you may not be walking the desert hills and healing lepers, but you're working 40 to, to 80,000 hours a week. You're dealing with people. You're, you're being affected by the things that happen. You're trying to balance life and work and family and all these things, and you think that you're not being taxed for it? You think that's not straining? You think that's not constantly just taking away and draining your battery? Taking time to rest isn't lazy, guys. It's biblical. It's biblical. God himself, what did he do after he created the world? He took time to rest. And he said, I want you to do the same. Why? Because I got big plans for you. And while I got those big plans for you, while you're here, I want you to be effective. I want you to be purposeful. We talk a lot about running on empty. You hear people talk about, oh, I'm just running on empty. Can you run on empty? It's a, it's a silly saying. You can't run on empty. I'm, I'm driving my car and I'm running on empty. No, you're not. You're sitting in the parking lot. Your car's out of gas. Your phone, that, that, that brand new glorious iPhone 6 Plus, if that thing's out of battery, what good is it? It's a coaster at that point. A coaster that can hold a complete six-pack, but it's a coaster. <laughs> it's worthless. You can't run on empty. Once you're empty, it is over. There's no such thing as running on empty. We can't let ourselves get empty. We can't let ourselves get empty. You want to be a light to the world? Then you have to learn how not to burn out. And we have glorified burnout. I think sometimes, well, I just, I just go, I just go, go, go. Man, I'm giving all I'm 100%. I'm gonna, when I die, I'm going to be sliding in bruised. And everything. Well, did you take time to stop and just recharge with God? Did you take time to, to just turn everything off for a while and spend time with your family? Did you take time just to rest and recharge so that every person you come in contact with and God has, has spoken to you to reach out to them and speak into their lives, that you're not just sitting there going, oh, just, I don't even know what to say to you. I'm just so flustered right now. I don't even know how to speak. Or every day feels like it's just a burden because you've got nothing left to give. There's no such thing as running on empty. Look what it says in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 and 31. It says, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, some versions say, wait in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Doesn't that sound great? How many of you guys want to soar like an eagle? I'll be honest, sometimes I'd just be happy trotting like a donkey. Just seems better than sometimes where I'm at. Sometimes I'm good just to, I'm like, you know, God, I'm upright. That's a plus right now. And God says we can soar like an eagle. Guys, and we settle for less than that because we let ourselves get burnt out. We settle for less because we let ourselves get weary and we don't stop and balance out our lives. Jesus has given us a great example to follow. Well, you don't understand. I, I don't have time to stop and pray. I don't have time to stop and, and try to take a vacation. I haven't taken a vacation in eight years. I hear people brag about that. I haven't taken a vacation in eight years. Well, you're killing yourself. You're killing yourself. Rest. Recharge. You need it. The kingdom needs it. You're no good burnout, out, and you're not effective. Talk about needing a recharge. Look at Jesus. This was something he modeled for us right up till the end, right before 
his death, right before his arrest and crucifixion, what does it say? He was with his disciples, and he stepped away alone to pray, to spend time with God, because he knew what was coming. He needed that time. He needed that power of God. And they had been going. I mean, they had been traveling all around. They walked everywhere. They were ministering. You saw it's told, the toll it took on his disciples. Look at the disciples. They were like, oh, we're going to fall asleep. She's like, no, no, you got to pray. you got to recharge. And I, guys, you go, well, they were sleeping. They were resting. Guys, there's a difference between sleep and rest. Some of you guys were like, man, I work all day long. I come home and I just drag myself into bed and I get up the next morning and I do it again. There's a difference between sleep and rest. Are you taking time to spend time with God, to let him minister to your soul, and taking time to pull away and just rest before God? Some of you guys need to hear this because you're heading for a power failure. You may be doing good right now. You're like, well, I'm doing all right, but I'm just all going. It's coming if you don't learn to balance. Some of you guys are already there because you're either running on fumes and you're in here this morning, you're like, that's me, man. I am, I'm barely hanging on. Or maybe you're like, I'm already dead. I'm here, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm just numb inside. I just feel ineffective for the kingdom. I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I'm just kind of dragging myself around. I got good news for you. Because there is a rest that goes beyond sleep. Matthew 11, 28, 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus talking here. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Guys, if you're here this morning and you are one of those that you're like, I'm just barely hanging on. I've got nothing left to give. First good news, you know what? God can recharge you. God can renew you. He says, come to me if you're weary. I will give you rest. A rest that goes way beyond just regular sleep. Some of you guys have been pushing these margins. You've been stretching yourself too thin. I'm here to tell you this morning, guys, it's not biblical. Do I always have an answer? Are there times our life is busier than others? Yes. It's natural. It's normal. Even over this last year, building this church, building the place, and there were nights I was up 24 hours trying to build stuff, put together playground equipment, which I didn't learn about in Bible school. It was taxing. It was hard. But I had to make sure I found time to recharge afterwards. Good news is, if you find yourselves there, we can lean on the one who never grows tired. Back in Isaiah 40, these are the verses before the ones we read earlier about soaring like an eagle. Verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. How many of you guys need some strength this morning? How many of you guys are weary this morning? How many of you guys are weak because you run yourselves too thin? If you are this morning, come to God. Let him recharge you. And then when you get back up and you're strengthened again, you need to start learning how to balance your life and nurture your soul so you don't find yourself there again on the scramble time trying to figure out how to recharge at the last minute. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you will have your way in this place. God, you know every person in here, God. You know what they deal with. You know what they do for a living. God, you know what they strive to do and how they want to glorify you. But sometimes, Lord, we get so caught up in doing stuff that we run ourselves ragged to the point of exhaustion. Father God, we want to glorify you in our lives. And sometimes the most glorifying thing that we can do is to pull back, just rest in you, Lord, so that we come back out of the gates, Father God, we can be effective. God, have your way this morning in us. It's in your mighty name. Thank you, Matt. If you're here today, um, I don't need to re-preach this message to you, but if you're here today and you're struggling, 
you're here today and you feel like you are on empty, you feel like you've burned out, you feel like you are ineffective, there is hope. Um, but we can't do it in the physical. It comes through connecting with God and letting him recharge us. And so uh, I just want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. If you're here today, you say, Mel, um, I'm not really a Christian. I'm not really a follower of Christ. I'm, I'm new to this church thing, but I want to know Jesus. I want to know the rest that comes with knowing him. I, I want to know about the things that Matt was talking about today. I want to know that in my heart and my soul. I want to have a relationship with Jesus today. I want to make some things right with God. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. And so if that's you today and you say, I want to make a decision for Jesus, I want to know him. Would you just slip your hand up real high in the air and let me see that and just acknowledge it and pray with you today? Thank you. Back here by the sound booth. Thank you over here on my left. Appreciate that, sir. Who else says that's me? Thank you. I appreciate that. You can put your hand down. Awesome, man. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. I want to know Jesus today. I want to have a relationship with him. I want to get things right with God. I'm tired of doing this on my own. All right. I'd like every person in this place to simply repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I give my life to you. I turn away from my old ways. I'm never going back to my old life. I commit to chase after you for the rest of my life. I'm going to mess up, but you love me perfectly. Thank you. Thank you for giving your life to pay the price for mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.